Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. This is an amazing thing that we get to celebrate too, the fact that we have something to give. The fact that, that we can honor him and, and, and that we can be a blessing to him and to other people um, with, with our finances, with our resources, with our time, our talents, with everything that we have, everything that he's blessed us with that we can give back to him. So um, we say this all the time here, but we really mean it, that, that there's so many things that God wants to give, um, but, but he won't force his way in. And so you may have things in your life that you hold on to, and it doesn't have to be money. Money's the least of, of our wealth, right? Like, if you don't have relationships uh, that are godly and that are, that are, that are full of life, if, if you don't have health, if you don't have, if you don't have any of these things, you could have all the money in the world, and you'll spend it to get the very things that maybe you abandoned in the pursuit of it. And so, so, but, so it's, it's the least of it, but it's part of it, right? But, so you could have things in your life, and you, you, you can, if you choose to, you could probably wrap your hand around them so tightly that no one could take them from you. And you can hold on to it, and you can say, no, this is mine. I, I will not give this up. And, and you, you can do that. That's your right. But in doing so, you make it impossible for anything to be placed into your hand. Nothing can be taken from you, but on the same token, nothing can be given. Because you're so tightly holding on to the thing that you already have. And if we would live with our hands open towards him and just say, God, all I have is yours. It all came from you. It's all for you. Anything that you want, anything that you ask of me, I gladly give. In doing so, we position ourselves to receive everything that he has for us to receive. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That was your idea. That you said you take delight in the prospering of your servants. That was your idea, God. You chose to delight in that. We thank you for that. I ask that we would just continue to live with our hands open as a church, as individuals, God, as your bride, that, that we would stand before you, hands open, and say, God, it's all for you. We give whatever you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, welcome to, to Outreach Church. I, I, something funny happened this morning. Um, my wife normally always comes early with me, especially because, you know, she sings and plays and stuff, and so I don't set an alarm. It's funny, I, I'm up early every day except Sunday. I promise, Sunday is the only day that I actually need an alarm. I don't know why that is. Uh, I think I get too jacked up on Saturday night thinking about what's going to happen and, 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 and receiving the message and stuff, and I just have a hard time falling asleep or whatever, but I, Sunday morning is the only morning I need an alarm. Every other morning, I mean, even on Saturday when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. I have nothing I have to do in the morning. 540, ding, 425, ding, it doesn't matter. And so, um, so I don't set an alarm most of the time on Saturday nights because I know that I'll hear Patty's alarm Sunday morning and I'll wake up and I'll get ready because I need way less time than her. So if she has time, I have plenty of time. And, uh, <laughs> and so this morning at seven o'clock, she wakes me up and says, uh, uh, honey, what, what time are you supposed to be at church? And I, I said, um, she said, aren't you picking up Merle? I said, yeah. She said, what time are you picking him up? I said, I'll probably pick him up around 7.10, so we get there, you know, before 7.30. That's the time the worship team has to be here. I have my routine. I love to come here in the morning and just gather my thoughts and put stuff out on paper. She says, well, it's 7 o'clock. I was like, oh, no. So I, I get up, and I, and I 
made a mad dash around, brushing my teeth, finding what I'm going to wear. And, and, and I look at my phone, there's a text from Earl. He says, what time are you going to be here? I'm thinking, oh, man, he's, like, he's probably been up waiting, and I'm going to be late. I'm going to be the reason he's late. And so I, we get in the car, and I'm like, hey. And I forgot my laptop. I had to go back in and get my laptop and just put me even further behind anyways. And I get to his house, and he gets in, and, and we're driving down the road. And I'm like, hey, sorry, man. I'm, we're probably going to be a little late. And, and thankfully, he's an honest person because he could have been like, well, make sure you tell Brandon that or something, you know. But he looks at me and he's like, dude, I didn't wake up. I slept in. I didn't wake up till 7 o'clock. <laughs> he's like, my wife was like, it's 7 o'clock. He's like, and I got up and I scrambled around. But here was the incredible thing. And I said this to him as we were coming in. Because we even stopped at the gas station on our way in because he needed something, right? So we pulled in at 7.32. And I said, here's the difference between men and women. Both of us woke up this morning at 7 o'clock, and here we are at church at 7.32 with a gas station stop. That's, that's pretty incredible. So uh, anyways, I thought that was just funny that it happened to both of us. We both went through the same routine, but what's that? Not all women. Well, we speak in generalities around here, okay? Uh, we speak from what we know. I have two women, my wife and my little daughter, who's growing up in my home, and that doesn't happen with them. Let's just say that. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so good morning. Welcome. We're really thankful that you're here this morning. Um, so we're two months into a new year, right? J- January's past. Can you believe that? We're already in the third month of 2018. I still write 2017 when I'm filling out dates, and, uh, and we're already two months into to, to 2018. And so um, how many of you guys made a resolution? before 2018 started. Even if you didn't call it a resolution, you just made a promise to yourself, you were going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to get in shape, you're going to budget, you're going to do this. Anybody, put, put your hands up if you did. Yeah, if you've been decided, how's that working? How are you doing? Awesome. Halfway? So, so here's what I was thinking about. It's like every year, and, and people that work out at the gym all the time, they make a joke about this, you know, but like January and February, the gym's crowded by March, it starts to slow down and by April, you have the gym back to yourself again. And, uh, and, and I, but I was thinking about how many people made resolutions at the beginning of this year that their life was going to be different in 2018. And I was wondering how many people's lives will actually be different when they get to 2019. And I was just thinking about a lot about why. And I, I don't think the problem is that we don't have good ideas. I don't think we have a lack of good ideas. I think everything that we, we talk about, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They're, they're all good things, but, but sometimes I wonder why, like, it seems like we, we know these good things and we have these good ideas, but it has a hard time translating sometimes from an idea that we know we should to something that we actually do, and then to something that we do forever. And, and so I was just, just kind of pondering that. And one thing I thought about is, I have noticed this, um, and this isn't to beat up on us spirit-filled people, but I have noticed the longer I've been around spirit-filled people and in spirit-filled churches, right, for whatever that term means to you, charismatic churches, I've noticed one thing, and that is that, uh, and, and, and I think a lot of times it's a reaction maybe to, um, to, to legalism or, or, or uh, you know, real authoritarian kind of thing where we grew up and everything was based on action or something like that, but, but there's a hard time with commitment, it seems like, a lot of times. And so I started looking up some facts, and I, I did this a while ago. I found some facts that actually backed up my suspicions. And, and you, truthfully, uh, 
about 50% less people that, that would say that they are uh, spirit-filled, charismatic people that believe in, and walk and operate in the gifts of the Spirit today attend church on a regular basis. Wait, on a regular basis compared to people who are not professing to be spirit-filled as far as walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in the gifts and signs and what we would call charismatic movement. And, and that re- really bothered me. Because I started thinking about Jesus. He was the ultimate charismatic. He was filled with, led by, empowered by, and walked in the gifts of the Spirit on a constant, regular basis. And yet he wasn't flaky. And so I just started thinking like, man, that seems a little bit weird to me that we claim to be led by the same spirit that Jesus was led by, but our lives don't look a whole lot like his in some areas. And I know this isn't for you because you guys are here, so this is just for the people that didn't come today and are listening on the podcast, but you're going to have to endure it for their sakes, okay? It's your cross to carry. But, but I was thinking about this, and just the whole idea of being born again and what it is to be a new creation, and all this stuff was going through my head, and so I just started writing out some stuff, and I felt like I was really talking about the fact that when we get born again, it, it, something happens, we're changed, we're new creations, and all that, but we, we're still being transformed by renewing our minds and the way that we think, and, and probably at some point we owe it to ourselves to kind of take an inventory of our lives, and just ask ourselves, like, why do I do the things that I do? Who taught me that? What taught me that? What habits do I have in my life? And I don't know, habits seems like a bad word sometimes, I think, we, you know, because we've so often uh, kind of connotated it with negativity. But truthfully, habits are, are not good or evil. It's the behavior that we habitually do that makes it good or evil. And, and so I started looking through the Bible, and, and I found these things that, that Jesus habitually did. And now, now I, I don't want anyone to think that, well, we'll get into that, whatever. You may think that, but you won't after we're done here. But, but in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. So, and, and if you read through the Gospels, you find over and over again, it talks about Jesus going off to be alone. Um, and it, it, there was one time, and this was really neat, interesting, and total side note, but there was one time where he went off to pray, and he asked uh, this couple of disciples to come with him and stand watch and pray. It was when he went to the garden, when he was praying, sweat like drops of blood, and it says that, that he came back and he found the disciples sleeping. And he said, couldn't you just pray with me for an hour? Couldn't you just do this for a little while? And then he came back. And over and over again, he would ask them to do something. They wouldn't do it. He would go off and be alone, come back, and find them not doing what he asked them to do. And as I read that verse uh, just the other week, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, Roy, it's awesome to ask people to pray for what you're doing and to come with you and to intercede and to stand watch and pray. But them not doing what you've asked them to do and what they've promised to do is never an excuse for you not doing what it is that you set out to do that you know I've called you to. See, think about this. It was okay. Jesus did it. He's our example. So if Jesus asked some friends to come and intercede and pray for him, that means that, that there should be things in our lives where we're inviting our friends into to pray and intercede. But what we can't do is let them not following through on what they've said they were going to do keep us from following through on what we know the Father's called us to do. People are not our excuse to not do what it is that he's called us to. 
I thought that was an uh, uh, interesting thing that it took the time to point that out. And I think it's because sometimes if we're not careful, we'll give ourselves reason and excuse to not do things and we'll blame other people for it. Well, you know, if they would have. Jesus didn't do that. He asked them into it. He hoped they would. He got alone with the Father. And in the end, whether people did what they said they were going to do or what he asked them to do, he still went to the cross and gave his life for us. He didn't let them become the reason he didn't. And so, um, but you read about this, about Jesus getting alone um, all the time. And the other versions talk about him going to the mountains and, and going to the Mount of Olives. And, and it talks about sometimes that he would go all night, be alone all night, just praying and, and spending time with the Father. And in Luke chapter 22, it says, um, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And, and that word custom is an interesting word in the Greek. We talked about it a little bit before. It's, it's the word ethos in the original language. And that word really translates to um, a habit or something that you do by way, by, by way of habit or by the law. In other words, it was something that you did because you either had a habit of doing it or because the law required that you do it. That was, your, that was your ethos. And Jesus, part of his ethos was that, that he would go and get alone and be with the Father. He was a person who actually had habits. He wasn't as, I don't think that he was as mystical in a weird, like a, like a oh, who knows where it goes kind of way as sometimes we might think he was. You know, now did he, was he, did he allow his ethos to be interrupted? Of course, he went to be alone. He saw people on the way. He stopped for the people, but he still made a priority to get away and be alone with the Father. And so it was a habit that Jesus had of getting alone with him. It wasn't something, it says Jesus learned obedience through the things he saw. Jesus actually had to learn things through the things he went through. It wasn't as if when he came out as a baby, he knew everything. It says that he learned. He grew just like we grow. It says he grew in, in stature and in wisdom. He grew in wisdom. He had to grow in wisdom. But one of the things that he did is, is he made a habit of actually getting alone with the Father and spending time with him. How many of you think that was an evil thing? How many of us make habits that look like Jesus? And so as I was reading this, I was thinking, man, if Jesus made this a habit might be valuable for me to do the same. It might be valuable for me to say, I want to do this. And if someone was to talk about me and they said, and Roy, as was his habit, custom, ethos, whatever word you wanted to use, went alone to the mountain to pray. And so I started looking for other ethos of Jesus, other habits of Jesus. And, and I found where... In Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, ethos, habit, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And I thought it was really interesting that this starts with, and Jesus being filled with the Spirit, Jesus being baptized with the This wasn't Jesus doing it because of legalism. This was Jesus actually being filled with and baptized and led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit did what was his custom, what was his habit. Being Spirit-filled is not an excuse for not having a life that's disciplined. Being spirit-filled doesn't mean that I don't have things that I do on a regular basis because I know that I should do them and I know that they are good for me. And I actually let that make my decision for me sometimes because I don't always feel like it in the moment. 
in James, he's talking about earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. He says there's a wisdom that comes from above that's pure and peaceable. He says there's also an earthly wisdom. He says it's sensual, meaning driven by the senses, by the feelings, by the emotions, by the desires that we have in the moment. And at the end, he calls it many things. He says it's, it's demonic. So to live only by our senses, only by what we feel, James equates to being demonically influenced. But James wrote that, not me. Well, yeah, but so, so you're telling me that you always feel, no, I don't always feel like doing the things that I've decided or the things that I need to and want to do that are best for me. That's why it would be really good if we actually took an inventory of our lives and started thinking about what are the things that I do on a regular basis? What are the things that I do habitually? Because if we don't choose our habits, our habits will choose us. The world will steer us in a direction if we allow it. If we don't decide the course of our day, our day will decide its course for us. How many of you got to the end of the day and so many things that you knew you should do didn't get done because all these other things got in the way? You, you realize I, I actually like, I schedule time to be alone with the Father. I do. And I put it in my calendar, and I won't violate it. And sometimes when people say, well, um, you know, can we get together? And I look at my calendar, and I say, you know what, I can't this week, um, except for on this date at this time. The truth is, is there are some holes in my calendar that I've blocked for spending time with him. But if I allow the needs of people to fill that, I won't spend that time with the Father. And then I'm no good for the people that want to meet anyways. You guys, we have to get to a place where we start prioritizing and saying, what are the things that I know when I'm thinking right that I should do and that I want to do and that Jesus, like, like if he really is our example, then we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, I'm not saying that you, you, you have to go or you can't be like Jesus, but I am saying that Jesus thought it was important to go on a regular basis to the synagogue, read from the scriptures and be there for prayer and for worship and the things that they did. And we have to ask ourselves this. If we're being led by the same spirit that, Jesus, that led Jesus, why is he not leading me to the things that he led Jesus to? Come on, if, if Jesus fasted, led by the spirit to fast, why am I never being led by the spirit to fast? If Jesus was led by the spirit to get alone with the Father, on a regular basis, why am I not being led by the Spirit to get alone with Him on a regular basis? To pray, to be with Him, to let Him father me. This is when Jesus was talking to God. He's, he's calling Him Father. Your Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father. What's He saying? He's your Father. What do you think Jesus was doing when He was alone? He's being fathered. He's actually taking time and saying, listen, I know there's a million other things we could do right now. It's not as if Jesus didn't have a schedule or demand on his life. Come on. The person in here that spends the most time with the Lord and the person in here that spends the least time with the Lord both have the same number of hours in a day. It's just how we choose to spend them. And I'm proposing that possibly in a knee-jerk reaction, and I'm just thinking through this stuff, so forgive me, guys. It probably isn't as polished as some things, but I'm thinking that maybe as a knee-jerk reaction 
to the rigidity of legalism that made it all about the do's and the don'ts and you can and you can't and all that stuff. Somehow we have left discipline in that ditch as we swerved out of that ditch and we've ended up in another ditch that has liberalism that has no discipline. And we've cast off restraint in the name of freedom in Christ. But freedom in Christ was never freedom from the things that Jesus valued and modeled for us. They were freedom from the things that would keep us from those things so that we could actually live the life that he called us to live. And I promise you, if you're being led by the same spirit as Jesus was, that you are being led to the same things that Jesus was led to. And so there's this, there's this and, and again, I'm a pastor, but you know what? I believed this stuff long before I was pastoring in a church because I would talk to people and they would say things like, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. When did this become about what's the minimum I can do and still call myself a Christian? And why don't I want to gather with other believers in worship? And the other thing is, is if I'm claiming to be led by the Spirit, why is he not leading me into the same thing that he led Jesus into? Why hasn't he led me to make an ethos in my life of gathering with other believers, worshiping, ministering, being ministered to, and giving? No, maybe you don't have to make an ethos of gathering with other believers. Listen, people say, well, yeah, but I have people come over to my house. That's awesome. But it doesn't say in Jesus, as was his custom, had some people over for dinner in his house. You should be doing that too. That's part of fellowshipping and that's part of growing in community, building relationship and valuing people. But it says he actually went to, and it makes a point to say he went to the synagogue. And so, no, maybe you don't have to go weekly to a synagogue to be a Christian. But the Spirit of God thought it was important for Jesus to do that, to be Jesus. And he's the goal, not some label. We're not looking to try to find out how little we can do and still fit the label of Christian on our lives. Our goal is to become as like him as possible, to be so much like him that if he had a habit, we would say, God, if your spirit led him to making that a habit, let it lead me to making the same habits. And I promise you this, he's trying to. I promise you, he's trying to lead you to make a habit of getting alone with the Father and spending time with him on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about just like a few minutes here and there. I'm saying like actually saying I'm spending this time to get alone with you, to be with you. I'm here to be with you. Maybe I'll read your word for a while. Maybe I'll worship for a while. Maybe I'll, I'll pray and pour out my heart to you for a while. Those things are all awesome. But my main goal for this time, God, is to just be with you. I want to be fathered. I want, if, you, if you have things you want to say to me because my life is so busy and I'm always thinking about other things and, and I'm devoting time to this and that, God, I want to spend this time and set it apart so that I can just be with you and hear you and know that you want to be with me and let you father me and let you speak to me and tell me these things that you want to tell me, the deep things of God. God, the, the cry of my heart is I want to know you. And if I want to know you, I have to spend time with you. And I'm not talking about just like leftovers. This isn't, I'm not talking about like a religious activity where you get up and you say, okay, thank you, Lord, for this day. Oh, it's so awesome. I love you and, 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 and thank you for Jesus. Check. Okay, I spent. No, I'm talking about where there's a desire in your heart that says, I want to make time to be with him. 
so that when the desire isn't there momentarily for a time, the decision you made, the discipline of your life keeps you doing what it is that you know you need to do even when it's not something you want to do. And here's the problem with living sensually, why James calls it demonic, is if we live by our feelings and we only do the things that we feel like doing, we'll feel like doing them less and less every time we say no based on a feeling. Think about, I'm telling, listen to me. If you get up in the morning and you let senses drive you and you let sensual thinking be what guides your decisions and you only do what you feel like doing, you will feel like doing that even more the next day. And you'll feel less like doing the things you didn't do the next day. And it'll be easier to continue to live in that place of letting feeling drive our decisions. And it works the same way the other way around. If you get up that day and you listen, I, I, I've made a habit and ethos of getting up early every morning, except Sundays. I, I honestly, it's so weird. Is that not the truth? Like, I, even when I we go on vacation and I can't sleep in. I'm like, God, I would just like to sleep in tomorrow morning. And he probably just smiles and says, okay, see how that works for you. <laughs> I don't know, but he doesn't let me sleep in. I wake up and sometimes I'll pray, God, just let me go back to sleep for a little while. And I lay there and then I start thinking. And because I'm saying, God, let me go back to sleep, my thoughts are already on him. So I'm already thinking about him. And the next thing you know, some other thought about him comes and then some other thought comes. And then pretty soon I'm like, all right, I might as well just get up and go make some coffee because I'm not going back to sleep. And I might as well give you this time. But, but here's the thing, and this is just being truthful. I don't every morning that I wake up early feel like giving him all of my time and attention. It, it's not like there's this pastoral juice, right, that, that you sip in the morning, and, it go, and, and suddenly you just all of a sudden are like, wow, all I want is, is just to give you every bit of this time. And, and what, what phone, what notifications, what things do I have, what other? It doesn't happen that way. There are days where I wake up, and genuinely that's all that I want. I'm just like, God, I just, I, oh, I want to be with you. Thank you for waking me up this morning. I'm going to spend this time with you. God, would you just come? I laid in my bed before and said, Father, just come. Just come right now. Just, just come. Holy Spirit, come and be. There was one time I thought Patty was going to wake up. I told her about this. I thought she was going to wake up because I was laying there and I could feel the pleasure of God as I was choosing him in the face of everything else. And it was like to the point where I was like uncomfortable almost in my bed. And I thought, and I had this huge smile on my face and then I started laughing, but I was trying not to laugh. So I was shaking the bed. You know, but we have a memory phone, so it's pretty good. It doesn't, like, translate into a shaking patty. Like her. But I genuinely was waiting for any second for her to wake up and ask me. And I was praying, God, don't let her wake up, because I didn't want to be interrupted from what was going on in that moment. And those days are awesome. And I wish I could say every morning's like that. But then there's the mornings where I wake up, and I'm just like, I'd just like to go back to sleep right now. And if I can't go back to sleep, I can see... There's a bunch of emails over there. Now I don't clear my emails. That way I have no idea how many emails I have waiting for me. Because my phone says like 60,700 and so it does. So I don't know. Who knows how many emails there are waiting, right? But you see there's a bunch of text messages that you missed from the night before. And you see that there's voicemails that you need to. And, and you also see that there's things that you want to do. And it's in that moment that actually being disciplined, it's in that moment that I say, 
even though this isn't what I want right now, this is what I want. And I can't let the want of a moment get in the way of the thing that I know that I want for eternity. I can't sacrifice the thing I want forever for the thing I want immediately. And all of a sudden now your mind's fixed on him and you're remembering why am I choosing him and you're remembering why do I love you? Why do I want to spend this? And all of a sudden, pretty soon, that want starts to shift and it goes from something you're disciplined into doing to something that you're choosing to do to the point where you're at that place where it's all that you want in that moment. But it doesn't start that way. And sometimes you have to make a decision. And discipline is not a bad thing. Turn, turn your Bibles real quick. I'm going to give you permission to be disciplined. Listen, I'm telling you, because being disciplined is not a bad thing at all. Don't, flakiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that, you know, you'd be rigid. But look in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's writing this to Timothy. I, I love reading what Paul wrote to Timothy. Sometimes I think this is the stuff that, that Paul would write to me because I'm a young man. Then I remember I'm probably older than Paul when he was writing this to Timothy. I'm turning 40 in a couple months, and it's a little bit waking me out, you know? So, uh, well, not like scared, just like, holy smokes, 40 years has gone by. The reality of like how fast time goes by. And, you know, you still feel like you're a kid, you know, and you're not. <laughs> but 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. But think about this. Think about if Paul was writing this to you, a young believer who's going after, after the Lord. He says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. I'm just going to let that hang. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So he says, on this hand, don't have anything to do with things that are of no benefit of all. These are old stories that old women sit around and tell. I know. Take it up with Paul when you get to heaven. You won't be thinking about that when you get there, I promise. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says, okay, he's, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, listen, you know, disciplining yourself is only of little profit physically. And, and um, you know, it is of profit, because think about this. If, if you're not healthy, and you die of heart disease because you didn't take care of your body, it's really hard for you to do the things he set out for you to accomplish. If you don't exercise self-control, you have a hard time having authority when you're preaching to people about self-control. Just leave that one there. Do with it what you will. So there is some benefit. He says but it's of little benefit when he compares it to godly discipline. And he says, for discipline for godliness is profitable for all things because it holds promises for this life and for the life to come. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be disciplined in one thing, if you have to choose one thing, guess what? Guess what godly discipline would do? it would lead to bodily discipline. Would it not? Because the same God that said he wants you to seek him also said moderation in all things. Also called self-control a fruit, a sign that the Spirit of God is actually at work and living inside of you. So he says, if you're going to focus on one, make it godly discipline. And then he follows that up with this statement, which I, I've, he says, this is a trustworthy statement and deserves full acceptance. 
What statement? The statement that disciplining ourselves for godliness holds promise for this life and for eternity. Paul said a lot of things and didn't follow them up with, this is a trustworthy statement and deserves full acceptance. And so I was just praying and seeking the Lord on that. Why, why did he add that there? Like, there were so many things he said that he could have said that about. Like, this is a trustworthy statement and, and worthy of full acceptance. In other words, this is something you can trust. Not only that, but you should fully accept what I'm saying. And, if, and, and this is not just for Timothy. This is for all of us. Why did he say? I think it's because the Spirit of God knew that we would be people who would be prone to extremes. And so he knew there was coming a time where because of the abuse of discipline, as in it's the way to God or the way to the Father, rather than a result of having found him. And so he knew that there would be abuse. So he said, listen, don't ever, no matter what you do, throw this out. This is a trustworthy, in other words, you can always put your trust in this and it's worthy of you fully accepting. So fully accept that disciplining yourself for godliness is actually profitable, not just for this life, but for eternity. And then he continues and says this, for it is for this, for what? Godly discipline. The promises for this life and for the life to come. It is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Jesus says, listen, we labor and strive to live godly, disciplined lives. Let that settle. Let that crush anything that's risen up in us that's been reactionary teaching. You know, when we react to error, we create error. One of Bill Johnson's famous quotes, he has so many of them, right? But he says, every teaching that is in reaction to error generally contains error of its own. So let this, we labor and strive for godly discipline in our lives because we fixed our hope on God. He's saying this is the fruit of actually knowing Jesus is that we actually want to, we labor and we strive to live godly disciplined lives because we know him, not so that we can. When we get those things mixed up, that's the striving that's not godly. When we get those things mixed up, that's what leads us to legalism. That's what leads us to a works-based relationship. But Paul's saying, listen, you know the fruit of having fixed your hope on Jesus is this. The more you know him, the more you want to know him, the more you do anything that you can, including disciplining yourself for godliness so that you can grow in your relationship and your knowledge with him because you want him more than you want anything else. And you will make time for the things you want. You will. The more I seek you, the more I find you. If we're not finding, it's not because he's hiding too hard. It's because we're not seeking. And guess what? At the end of the day, the person who sought God and the person who didn't had the same amount of time. One chose to spend it pursuing the things that hold promise for this life and the next. And the other might have chose it pursuing things that only hold promise for this life and this life alone. So I just want to like challenge us. Like I said, I don't, I don't have like some polished thing, but man, I want to challenge us of this. It's like maybe we should take some inventory. And maybe there's some things that, that, that have crept into our lives, some habits that have sprung up in our lives that, that if we were being honest, we would say, I don't know that the Spirit of the Lord led me to that habit. I'm not talking about sin. Like, duh, stop. 
repent. Seek him. Ask him, why do I live? God, why does this have a place in my life? Like, and I'm not saying that cavalier, like just stop. I'm saying like, do whatever you have to do. Seek the Lord. But there's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And freedom isn't being hidden from you. Freedom is being offered to you. Okay, so if it's if it's sin, that's one thing. Like, seek the Lord on that. Do pray, repent, find Him. But, but I promise you this: if there's a problem with constant sin in your life, I can guarantee you the ethos of Jesus is probably not the ethos of your life. Because the more I find myself alone with Him, the more I find the, what I want being changed and, and being transformed. The more I find a change in my life, and I'm being transformed by seeking Him, by spending time with Him. And the more I spend time with Him, the more I become like Him. But I'm talking about things that maybe aren't even sin. They're just not things that I would say. I don't know that I could say that the Spirit of the Lord led me to this. That doesn't mean you can't have fun and have hobbies and stuff like that. I think that those are awesome. And I think that God would lead us into those things. He made us to be able to enjoy this life. I'm saying, are there things that we're doing that are taking in an improportionate amount of our time that could be given to something else that would be more beneficial both in this life and in the life to come? Because Jesus was talking in, uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. I'm going to close up with this. But he said, yeah, I'm out of time. Uh, I'm going to go through this real quick. Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But I want you to notice the order of this. He says, there's no one that gives those things up that doesn't receive. When do you think God made up his mind about the things that he wanted to give to the person who's giving those things up? Hey, do, you, do you think that maybe God is in heaven with no plan, and he looks down and he sees you give something up and goes, oh, wow. I didn't realize he was going to do that. I should figure something out to reward him because I said I would in my word. And I have to keep my word. I'm bound by it. I'm not a man that I should lie. Uh, Jesus, what should we do? I don't think that's the case. I think that the Father had those things already ready to give. And I don't think he was holding on to them to be mean, to be cruel, to frustrate us. But Jesus says, no one gives those things up without receiving in this life, in this age, and in the age to come. I think that maybe the Father's holding on to things and saying, all I need is a little bit of space. I just need a little bit of room. I can't give you another farm right now. You've got your hands full with the farm that you have. It's got rocky, junky soil, and all you do all day is spend your time plowing and trying to clear the field of rocks that never ended up clear, never end up cleared. And there's so little ground for you to work. And man, I have this so much better farm, but I can't give you both because neither of them would get the attention that they deserve. Remember when he told the Israelites that? He said, I'm going to drive them out in front of you, but I won't drive them out all at once. I'll only drive them out of the land in proportion to what you are able to actually possess and steward. And as you come into the land and possess and steward that well, I'll drive out a little bit more. What if God, what if this Jesus is saying this to say, listen, you guys, anything he's asking you to give up, he's already got something better for you, but he won't force both on you because he's extravagant but not wasteful. And when we think about like the things that he might be asking us to give up compared to what we could receive in return, 
Is it really a big deal? If it is, you may want to ask him why. God, I just, I thank you that, that this life following you really is simple. That it's not complicated. The gospel is simple. That we, we deny ourselves. You know, part of denying yourself is saying no to what you want so that you can say yes to the things he has. You deny yourself, take up your cross, and you follow him. That means even if I don't want it in the moment, my life isn't about what I want. It's about the one that I said yes to and what I really want. Because if you asked everybody in this room, do you want to walk closer with the Lord? Do you want to know him more than you know him? Do you want to see his power and display it through your life? Do you want to see people radically changed by the gospel of Jesus? Every one of us would say yes. The big thing we all say yes to, but it's the little things that we say no to that keep us from that big yes sometimes because he won't force it upon us. No one has given up except for that they would receive, but they had to give up in order to receive. So God, I just ask that if there's things in our lives that you're calling us to give up, God, that we would truly seek you. God, that we would ask ourselves that if someone was writing a story of my life and they said, and, and Roy, as was his ethos, what would follow that? What are the things that would follow that, would they look like what the things that followed Jesus is when they made those statements? And so many more things. Jesus had a habit of praying for people that needed prayer. He had a habit of healing the sick. He had a habit of feeding the poor and the hungry. He had a habit of destroying funerals. He had a habit of speaking the word in response to accusation or to the enemy. He had a habit of loving people who at the time were actually living contrary to the way God called them to live and never judging them, always calling them higher. What would be said about our lives, honestly, if we were to lay it out? If we had people who were walking with us every day, all day, what would they say is our ethos? I just pray, God, that we would that we would give ourselves fully to you, God, in this way, that we would say, I want you to tell me the things that I should make a habit of. I want you to father me. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm born again. It's like I'm living for the first time. I was taught a lot of things, and I made a lot of habits and a lot of decisions based on earthly knowledge that was driven by my senses, God. And I'm, it's like I'm living for the first time. I want to be transformed. Would you come and renew my mind? Would you show me the things that I should make a habit of? Would you show me what godly discipline looks like? What does it look like to discipline myself for godliness? Because I know that anything you've called me to, there's joy in, because it's your joy that's my strength. I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're, we're running a little bit late, so we're going to try to do this quickly. But this is our first Sunday. Um, and every first Sunday, if you weren't here last week, you hear us talk about it, or the month before, we take up uh, an additional offering in addition to our general offering, and it strictly goes towards, um, we're filling up like 
Second service will probably be overflowing again, and, and we're running out of space, and we want to know, well, God, what would you have for us next? And what we want to do is position ourselves to where when he does speak or an opportunity comes, we can actually respond. Uh, we don't have any debt. We don't have uh, a, you know, a huge uh, cost to operate the church. We do things pretty frugally around here, and uh, we try to squeeze the most out of our dollars. Um, so, but, but, but we want to be able to, to save money and put money aside so that when God shows us what he has next for our family, we can respond and, and take advantage of that. So, so if, you, if, God, if you feel like God would ask you to sow into that, we're going to pass the baskets right now. And um, you can just note your check first Sunday, or you can do it online. There's a drop-down box on the online giving that you can click first Sunday offering, and you can give that way. Um, and it's kind of exciting. I, I don't have the current tally, but I'll have it next month for us of how much has come in so far. But it's been amazing to see. And and so uh, thank you guys for doing that. And we pray that you just be blessed. Uh, they're going to pass the baskets now while Candace is giving some announcements.